Well, Christmas is over. Oh, I thought I'd get a few, uh, at least from the kids. I thought, oh, wow. We are back in Galatians, and so we want to go to Galatians 3. We're going to be looking at 15 through 25. The law and the promise. There's this promise, this covenant. There's the law, and how does all this work out and work together? So there was a guy who was hanging on a cliff, and he said, help me. He's, he's just dangling from this cliff, just holding on. Can anyone up there help me? And then he heard a heavenly voice. Yes, I'll help you, but first you must let go. Let go? Why in the world would I let go? Just let go. If I let go, I'll fall. I'll catch you. And after a long pause, the man called out, hanging on still, is there anyone else up there who can help me? Please, anyone else. That story is a silly story, but it, I think, gives us an illustration of this fact. Most people, many people, refuse to accept God's offer of salvation. Just let go and I'll catch you. There's so many people that often cry out for something else or another way. And in the case here in Galatians with the Galatian churches, the Judaizers saying, oh no, there's a different way. You need to do this and this and this and this. Yet we have seen already in our study and we know in our hearts that faith in Christ is the only way. We call it justification by faith in Christ. So uh, last time we were in Galatians 3, we looked at verses 6 through 14 where Paul is arguing exclusively from the scriptures. Do you remember? He was even quoting the Old Testament, quoted five times from the law and one time from the prophets. But today we're going to end up at what I call the midpoint in chapters 3 and 4, the midpoint of Paul's theological exposition, if you will. Paul now is zeroing in. He's showing us how God's covenant with Abraham, the promise, if you will, it stands in stark contrast to the law of Moses. Paul now argues from a broader historical, a broader theological consideration concerning relationships. Abraham, Moses, and of course, of course most importantly, Jesus. And we see that. And there's some new terms that are kind of introduced here that we want to think about. Promise, covenant, inheritance. And let me give you the big idea this morning as, as you think about, as we read the scripture and you think about what we're going to be discussing. It's this, the law shows us a need that only grace can fill. The law shows us a need that only grace can can fill. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 15, chapter 3. Brothers, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside even a human covenant that has been ratified or makes additions to it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but, and to your seed, referring to one who is Christ. 
And I say this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by God so as to cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise. But God granted it to Abraham through the promise. Why the law then? I think that's a really good question about at this point, don't you? <laughs> Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, capital S, the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was ordered through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not for just one person, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if, the, if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we would come be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Your translation may say tutor. It's a, it's a pretty interesting, strong word. I mean, it's basically like if you went to parochial school, even the physical discipline that was handed out. I mean, it is an intense uh, idea here. It's a guardian or tutor. I remember those days. Did anybody went to school back in the days when um, they could lay a hand on you? <laughs> I remember SWATs. I don't know about you. You're thinking, oh, not you, Pastor. Oh, yeah, I was in junior high once, yes. <laughs> the law then was, was our, our guardian, so picture that, all that, okay, until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. Verse 25, but since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we can just read it and ponder it and meditate on it, and you speak to us. Thank you that as we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. We're so grateful for the way you customize it for us and the way you pierce into our very soul, into our life with your words. And God, we recognize that your scripture is God-breathed and every word is important and it is your love letter to us. And we thank you for how you reveal yourself to us through the word. May we understand today, God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look at the law and the prop promise. We're going to start with the promise first. Look at verses 15 through 18. Uh, the priority, if you will. In fact, I said the powerful priority of the promise. And the first thing we see dealing with the promise, dealing with covenant, is that it is irrevocable. Verses 15 and 16. Paul starts out right in this passage of Scripture using a term of endearment again. The term is brothers. It's the first time he's used it since chapter 1. He's gone here and there and everywhere, and now he's back speaking to them with a term of endearment. And he uses an example from co common experience. In fact, he says he's using a human illustration. And the illustration, the common experience, is one of covenant. Now, what does that mean? That word means it's likely any kind of contract or formal agreement. 
the hearers understood this. The point here that, that Paul is bringing out is that the covenant, the promise, the contract, the formal agreement, it is binding and it was not changed except by the party who made it. It could not be changed. It was irrevocable except by the party who made it. And then Paul abruptly indicates something. He, he just is just blunt and he says, hey, I'm thinking about here, when I'm talking about this, I'm thinking about the promise God made to Abraham. You remember Genesis 13, 15, 17. Promise, promise, promise. This promise was not based on Abraham's deeds. And there were no, uh, there were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There were no strings attached. Scripture lets us know that Abraham believed. Abraham believed that God would do what he promised. And we see here, and we know also, the promise was also to Abraham's seed. Isn't that an interesting word? Today we would just say, you know, uh, heirs, those who fall in the lineage. But Paul does something very interesting in verse 16 when he makes the word singular. In other words, Abraham's seed now at this point is singular. Jesus, the Messiah. Look at verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but and to your seed, referring to one, it's from Genesis, who is Christ. How clear is that, church? Is that pretty clear? I mean, even I, even I can get the picture here, what he's referring to, and how amazing that is. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. So there's this, this promise. It's not going to be changed. And then in verse 17 and 18, we see this promise also has seniority. Now, I was a city councilor for about eight years up in the northwest New Mexico, and we understood and still know today the final battle, war, of the West is water. And it will be water. You don't think it is. You just wait. It's water. And senior water rights, or those who have seniority in their water rights, very, very important. As the city of Bloomfield, we would be buying up whenever we could very senior water rights. Why? So when everybody ran out of water, the city would still have water, right? Because the senior means older, older, older. And, and here the promise has seniority. Paul is explaining further. The covenant or promise, he says it right here in the scripture, it's lasted a long time. It came 430 years before the law. And Paul is exalting the God, our God, who keeps his promises. If you get anything today, get this. It's not just that it's a promise, it's that God keeps his promises. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I mess up so many times. I'm disobedient. I'm a sinner. Anybody in here a sinner? Hello? Yeah. Okay. You're, if you didn't raise your hand, you're sleeping. I understand. But the rest, those of us who are awake, we're yes, we're that. And yet God is faithful and keeps his promise. Furthermore, he states that the giving of this law did not cancel God's promise. It's very important to notice that. It didn't cancel God's promise. God in his grace gave us Jesus. And it's, I mean, hello, we're just in the Christmas season. It is fulfilled. 
The promise is true. And Paul shows us some things. The faithfulness of God, the lateness of the law, and the privilege of the promise. Wow, that gives me hope. That brings me uh, just to the, the idea of knowing that I can trust in God. So that's a little bit about the promise. Just a few verses, but power-packed. And then we jump into a section concerning the law. Really what I think is the purpose of the law. And in verse 19, Paul starts out with the great question, why the law? Why then the law? And he immediately begins to answer his question, doesn't he? The law was added, why? Because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. Listen to Romans 5.20. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And he goes on to talk about how the law was added until the seed had come, capital S. They're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And I want to just take a little turn real quick, just so we understand. Sometimes people get confused with the law and they think it's just, it's just gone because Jesus fulfilled it. Yes, Jesus fulfilled the law, but not just through his death. That's what a lot of people think. Well, it was fulfilled when he died and when he was resurrected. Oh, no, it was fulfilled continually through his life as well. His obedience, his perfectness here on earth, his example for us. He was fulfilling it and then ultimately fulfilling it through the law. Now, this is not in my notes, but I'm just going to give it to you. You ever get hit in the head with something from the Scripture? And you just have to tell your spouse or your kids or whatever. I get to tell you guys. I've been smacked upside the head this week with the last verse of the Gospel of John. Any trivia buffs in here? Do you know what that is? It's John 21, 25. I want to read it for you. You might want to look at it and underline it in your Bible. It says this. Just hit me as I'm thinking about all these things. And there are all the very last verse, Gospel of John. That different gospel, right? And there are also many other things that Jesus did. Which, if they were written one by one, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Now, maybe you would like to join me and chew on that for a while. I have been chewing on that for days. Think about that. I, I can't, my finite mind, I can't even comprehend all that that verse means. But it just was a reminder to me as I thought about the law that Christ comes and fulfills the law. And we, we know the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But let us not forget day after day in his life as he traversed this earth. He's fulfilling the law. And we only get a glimpse of it in our Bible. Now, God is creator. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. I have a high view of Scripture. He has given us Scripture just as, his, as he wants it. Isn't that amazing? Even in our native tongue, he has given it to us. And yet, that very Scripture talks about there are so many things that Jesus has done that all the books in the world couldn't even contain it. Wow. So you think about that. Why then the law? 
sin, trespasses, added until the seed, Jesus, had come. It's through angels, it says, and there's, it's, it's, it's got a role of mediator. And I want to look at verse 20. I want to tell you something about verse 20. Verse 20 is a tough verse. It has been said that there are over 400 interpretations of this one verse. Now, I don't have all those commentaries. I have a bunch of them, but not all of them. But if you look at scholars, and uh, there's some crazy ones and some uh, that might be here and there and all over, but it's a difficult verse. And it says this, now a mediator is not just for one person, but God is one. So there are over 400 interpretations, so I'm going to give you one, okay? Mine. (laughs) You can take it or leave it if you want. But let's define mediator first of all. That word simply means this, one who stands in the middle between two people and brings them together. That's what that word means. So we still kind of have that today, don't we? One who stands in the gap, if you will, the middle, and you got this here and this here, and brings it together. So my take on this verse, as we think about the law, why then the law is this. A mediator is required when more than one party is involved. Do you see that in verse 20? Now, a mediator is not just for one person. But then that second phrase shows us, but it's God alone who ratified the covenant of promise with Abraham. God is one. A mediator is required when more than one party is involved, but God alone ratified the covenant of promise with Abraham. Let me illustrate in the book of Romans 6, 14. says this, Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of, singular, God's grace. Romans 10, 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, to everyone who believes. Trust everyone who believes. And Romans 7, 4. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, singular, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we, why? That we may bear fruit for God. Isn't it awesome how God did all this? Law, promise, covenant, inheritance, and he puts it all together for us. I am so glad that I live today. I don't know about you. I'm so glad I have the complete word of God here. I'm just so thankful for that. It'd be hard to figure that all out, but I know the end of the story. Do you? Not just the story of Jesus here on earth and ascending into heaven, but uh, have you read the end of the book? He wins. We win. I thought I'd get an amen. Wow. I thought there'd be some football fans out there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, or something. So let me summarize it this way. The promise is superior to the law. It's God alone. So think of it this way. The promise, it's unilateral. It's unconditioned. Unconditional. Whereas the law is bilateral and conditional. I heard an old guy years ago say it this way, the law can't justify, it can't sanctify, and it can't satisfy. I thought that was pretty good. D.L. Moody says it this way, he illustrates it this way, the law is a good mirror to which to show a child how defiled his face is. 
But who would think of washing the child's face with the mirror? The law. Why the law? Well, I think in verses 21 through 25, we see three functions of the law. Number one in verse 21, here's a function of the law. The law enters that it might fail. Now, that's interesting. In fact, here in this verse, you can almost hear those Judaizers shouting this kind of question out. It's as if they're thinking, does his right hand, does God's right hand know what his left hand is doing? But Paul is clear after the question is made in verse 21, he's cleared with his answer. It's emphatic. It has an exclamation point, and he says, absolutely not. Literally, what does that mean in the biblical language? May it never come into existence. That's what Paul is saying. That's the answer that he's giving to this question. In the Greek, it's the very strongest way that you could state something. The failure of the law to save has turned into a blessing. Don't, don't view the law as a negative that, well, it can't save. No, it turns into a blessing because there's the promise of God. Second function of the law is that it condemns that we might be saved. Verses 22 and 23. It's been said we are like a fish caught in a net. You see, the law does this. By exposing human wickedness, the law eliminates every area of self justification from which the conscience-driven sinner might draw. You see, the law does help us in that way. It shows us, man, you need to be saved. There is no self-justification. There's nothing that you can do to make it right with holy God. Only God can do that in your life. And then we go on to see in verse 23, the example is that the law, I, I would say, is like a prison guard. Did you catch it? The law holds the prisoner until he or she is freed by the free gospel of grace that comes from God. I want to stop for a minute and just make sure you understand that, what it means to be saved from sin. You've perhaps heard of the Roman road. Romans 3.23 says what? That all have sinned. And miss the mark, miss the glory of God. What does that mean? God's perfect holiness. We, we can't reach that. Isn't that not true? Any of you parents or grandparents in here today observe during this Christmas season that little darling doing something that was a little bit sinful. Come on. Right? My grandson, he was like, no. That did not go over well with parents. Right? Yes, we're born with this sin problem. Romans 3.23, the first step says we, we need to acknowledge we're all sinners. We've missed the mark. But then there's Romans 6.23 that says what? The wages, the penalties of sin is death. And let's think, yes, death, but let's think spiritual death especially. But then there's another phrase to that verse, isn't there? The wages of sin is death, but what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is a gift. Romans 5.8 shows us uh, that there, God has a solution to this sin problem, and it's Jesus. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Oh, it gets better on the Roman road. That's three steps. Let's take the fourth steps. Roman 10, 9, and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I like to say believe the Scripture, you will be, what's the word? Saved. And then verse 10 goes on to say this, One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. It's a picture of trust. We place our trust in what God has already done. God is the one who brings us to the place of surrender where we can surrender and trust and say, I believe. I repent. I turn to you. And you alone can forgive and save. Please save me, God. Please become the Lord of my life. Now listen, Lord is one of those church words. Think boss, think controller, think master. That's what it means. And so we see all these steps along the Roman road of what it means to be saved. And then Romans 10.13 completes it. And I love it because it gives us assurance. Do you ever struggle with assurance? You ever done something and you just go, oh, how could, I, how could I really be a follower of Christ when I thought that or did that? But Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, remember 9 and 10 right there? Who calls upon the name of the Lord, what? Will, not maybe, will be saved. Folks, that's a message that we need to share with others. Perhaps you could use those verses in letting people know what it means to be saved and how you know that you know that Christ has saved you. And I would ask you this question this morning. Where are you on that road? The law enters that it might fail. The law condemns that we might be saved. Here's how we're saved. Romans is very clear. Remember, Galatians is kind of a little primer, if you will, on Romans. It's kind of leading up to when Paul writes Romans. Where are you on the road? And then the third function would be this. The law disciplines that it might set free. And I've already mentioned that when I read in the Scripture a little bit there, how the law is like a guardian or tutor for us. But so much more than that, like someone who's controlling all of our education and all of our behavior and everything. So it is like a guardian for us. It shows us our need, but it cannot save. Let me summarize it in this way. An old sermon by a guy named Fred Brown describes the purpose of the law in this way. Maybe this will help you. He says, first of all, it's like a small mirror that dentists use. Anybody have to go see the dentist this next year? You know that little mirror? See, the mirror can detect cavities, but the mirror cannot drill or pull teeth. The mirror reveals decayed areas, but it cannot fix the problem. That's one of his examples, illustration of the law. His second one is a flashlight. If the lights go out, don't you hate when that happened? You use a flashlight to go find the electrical box. And it depends on how old yours is or how new. You could have breakers, you could have fuses, okay? But it, it shows you, the flashlight shows you in the dark, the tripped fuse or faulty fuse or breaker. But guess what? We don't insert the flashlight into the box to fix it, do we? 
And then the third illustration he gives is a plumb line, and it comes from construction and building. Builders check their work by using a plumb line. That's What is that? Just a weighted string. And it reveals not the good work, but it reveals the work that's not true to vertical. And so the plumb line reveals that which is not true. And trust me, have you ever done any remodeling on your home? I remember the first tile job I did in, in our master bathroom back in Bloomfield. I was going great. But I noticed the tile started going like this. And I thought, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. You know what was wrong? The professionals who built the house, that wall was crooked. Plum. Not many things are plum. But guess what? The plumb line never fixes the problem. Only the hammer and the saw can fix the problem. I love what Fred Brown said there. That just helps me to understand the purpose of the law. So like these three examples, the law points out the problem, sin, but it does not provide a solution. Only Jesus, the one who fulfilled the law through his life and death and resurrection, can save. Remember, the big idea, the law shows us a need that only grace can fill. Well, let's close in this way today. Let me give you a statement. Jesus bore our guilt on the cross. Do you believe that? Jesus bore our guilt on the cross and now offers to each and every one new life. What the law cannot do, Jesus can do. And the question today is, have you asked, have you trusted him to be your Savior and Lord? Think of it this way. There's another quote from D.L. Moody. I can honestly say this is the only sermon that I've ever had D.L. Moody quoted twice, but I, I like this. It just works in my brain. The thief on the cross. Do you remember the thief on the cross next to Jesus? Not the one who was like, eh-eh, but the one who was like, this guy really is who he said he is. The thief on the cross had nails through both hands so that he could not work for the Lord. A nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or foot toward his salvation. And yet Jesus offered him the gift of God. And he took it. Amen? There's no talk about church membership, although I am proud to be a member of Hoppintown Church. There's no talk about baptism, although I think it's vital and imperative for every believer to be, have, to be baptized as a believer. We could go on and on. How many verses we read each day, how long we pray each day, how long, just fill in the blank. But the bottom line is this the gift is offered to us. In spite of all of our mess, in spite of what the law has exposed in our life, the inheritance is there. It's a gift, free gospel grace gift, and we can accept it. And that doesn't mean we do something because God gives us the faith, the trust to do it. It's all God, and yet we can take that final step and give our lives to the Lord turning from sin and running to him. What about you today? What a shame it would be to go through 2020 of all the years, of all the centuries, 
without knowing and having the assurance that you have been saved from your sin and you are following and trusting and believing in the Savior and that you have repented and turned to him and he is Lord, controller of your life. What about you today? The law, the promise, the mirror, the flashlight, the plumb line, the solution to all those problems. It's Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you just for reminding us today the simple truth and yet profound truth that Jesus is the way. I'm just reminded that Jesus' own word said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God but by me, but through me. And God, I pray today that people would evaluate. And in their hearts, they would just ask you, Lord. They would just ask you, am I a true follower of you, God? And God, we thank you that you are faithful you are just you're omnipresent you're omniscient you hear that prayer that question from all of us and you can answer it and, you, and you're ready to answer it and God I pray that people would nail that down today thank you for God how you teach us in your word thank you for just the opportunity to think about the inheritance awaits us the free gift of grace from God. God, I pray that people would just think about where they stand with you. And God, I'm just grateful that you save sinners. Thank you. God, thank you for the future that we have in you. We're so grateful. Thank you that the need that is exposed so readily to us because we can't meet that perfect standard Thank you that your grace fills it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you want to talk more about uh, what that means, I'll be here right here afterwards. I'd love to visit with you about that. Uh, you can email, give us a call. There's a bunch of us that would love to talk with you about how that happened for us and how you can experience uh, the Lord in your life as boss, master, and controller.